Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the TMBA podcast. I am joining you on the tail end of seven days of adrenalized entrepreneurial action. DCBKK 2022 is officially in the books, and I hope you'll make it to the next one because this one was good. I have a little note to myself here that says, make a great podcast recap worthy of a great event, something I'll be working on in the coming weeks. So you have a lot of content inspired from the entrepreneurs I saw in the room personally. You know, one of the takeaways I had from the event was how much of a difference this podcast has made in my life and in the lives of so many listeners, in the lives of attendees. And it's good to hear because I want to keep doing it. <laughs> and I want to keep doing it better and more of it. And I want to share stories like the one you're going to hear today because I believe, especially on the back end of an event like this, that it makes a difference. So what do you say? We get stuck into it. And just one little thing here. I'm sitting here looking at this epic city skyline, a beautiful view from a beautiful hotel on the tail end of, you know, just a really meaningful week. And the idea that these businesses that we're building allows us to be on the other side of the world for a few weeks or go somewhere new and interesting with people that we really respect in order to share ideas or to collaborate together or just to make new friends. And that there's not a pressure to be back to an office somewhere or to be in a particular place or to get back to that nine to five grind is an absolute privilege that 15 years ago was genuinely a dream for me. So anyway, let's get moving into this one. I'm going to share with you one of our main stage speakers. His name is Brennan Marquardt. And I caught up with him in Austin before we left for Bangkok. In fact, I was at a DC Junto. There's a group of e-com entrepreneurs in Austin that come to the Junto and they talk e-com stuff and it's sophisticated and interesting. And I was just kind of leaning into this conversation and I hear the story of today's guest, and I'm just like, would you be willing to come to Bangkok to share your story? And he's like, absolutely. So it goes like this. Brennan had a well-paid corporate job in finance, but was yearning for something different. And this is just a few short years ago. He had the job. He had the family. Now, most people would have stuck with the safe path, but Brennan decided to start that TMBA mainstay, a Saturday morning side hustle. And today we're going to see how it went. And as you'll hear, it went pretty good. In 2019, his company, Homestead Brands, whose primary product is pull-down beds, commonly called Murphy beds, was turning over about 1 million annually. Now it has 10 x So let's get into this incredible story uh, that we got the opportunity, thanks to the great city of Austin, which is the home to so many listeners of this show and incredible location and independent entrepreneurs. We were able to meet up at a local brewery, which is so very Austin. So let's just get right to it. I would say the four-hour work week was instrumental in opening my mind to the 
opportunity that eventually I did find and turned into what I'm doing today. Because I realized you can actually run a pretty decent business without having to disrupt your entire life and quit your job right away. The idea of moonlighting first, finding something small was the only way out for me. The only way was to run something in tandem until it got big enough. Our business grew significantly during the pandemic. So after working an office job my whole career, we got sent home to work from the house like everyone else did. And I looked around and I said, this is really great. I love working at home. 2019, what was your revenue? In 2019, we did a million dollars by the end of the year. Okay. It's an e-commerce store. You have a business partner. Those numbers don't work, really. No, especially not in e-commerce when you have to keep buying inventory way in advance of selling it. I mean, I think I would have hung on a lot longer than I did, except that I got a taste of what it was like to work at home for myself. Really? For those of us who had jobs like this during the early pandemic, we were getting emails every week from management saying, probably in about two weeks, we'll start bringing you back. And at one point, I just, I saw one of those emails and I said to myself, I am never going back to that office. And my best bet is this business. And it started growing rapidly at the same time. And so I just needed to see that the income was sufficient to cover my most essential basic necessities, like no more retirement contributions, maybe no more fancy dinners, perhaps. But if maybe for the last three or six months, there had been enough to cover those essentials, it was good enough for me. Let's talk about the origin. What are your main products? So Homestead Brands is the name of the company that we all work for. But predominantly, we work on LoriBeds.com. And LoriBeds.com sells Murphy beds, beds that fold up against the wall, which is just such a ridiculously niche thing to have fallen into. But it has proven to be a very popular thing. We have another smaller company that sells porch swings. We're kind of incubating that, trying to pull a repeat of what we did with Lori Beds. But definitely the Murphy Beds is what we spend all our time on. So the origin story you've talked about a bunch, which is you bought it from a woman named Lori who was making these beds in her garage. How did you find her and how did it come about? So the way I found her is one thing, but I will say, I'll go back to the four-hour work week. I was primed to recognize the opportunity because I was looking for the kind of business you could run in your spare time from a computer. Ideally, it's a business where either you sell an informational product, which requires very little ongoing production and cost of goods, or it's a business where you outsource literally everything you possibly can and maintain as your responsibility only the essentials of what you really have to do to put it all together. So I was looking for a business that I could run in my spare time, ideally that sold an information product. So when Lori Beds came across my path, that's what I was looking for. Now, the way I found it, I was an amateur wood worker. You were disappointed to see wood and hardware and <laughs> real stuff? Well, we actually really battled with it because she made most of her revenue from physical beds that she was building one at a time. But the thing I was most excited about was she was also selling a PDF plan that you could download if you were an amateur woodworker to skip her having her involved and just buy the wood yourself according to this list, cut it this way, put it together this way. So I was doing that kind of thing in my garage when I first got married. In fact, the first thing I ever built with wood is a bed, not a Murphy bed, just the bed that my wife and I still use. 
And my next door neighbor was refurbishing his garage into an apartment. And he decided he wanted a Murphy bed. He went and found this plan to build a bed and brought it to me and said, hey, Brendan, can you help me build this? And I looked at the plans and I was like, this is, you bought this? Like someone sold this to you. Like, this is exactly what I, like this, oh man, this is a great idea. I need to start a business like this. And then I went onto her site because I was just curious. And she actually had a message right at the top, above the fold, as we would say, which says, to my dear customers, I am tired of doing this. I have been building beds for five years. I never thought this is where my life would take me. I wow. want to go back to my art. She is an artist. She's a, a woman of nature and of the land. And so I reached out to her and I said, I think you should, she was going to shut it down. I said, I think you should sell this to me. You called her? Yeah, I did. Well, what was that conversation like? She didn't realize she had something worth selling. And for her, it was a wonderful blessing that we ran into each other because she really could use the money. And I really could use a business that had some traction already. Starting a business from scratch when you have obligations and people depending on you is a tough sell because there's a lot of risk. Even if you don't quit your job, it's just a lot of, maybe you waste a lot of time on something that doesn't work. Finding something that has just enough traction where you can see that there's potential, that was really attractive to me. I had some money from a bonus and we worked out something that was a great deal for me and for her was more money than she had imagined. When you say low five figures, you mean below 50 or like below 20? That's or? what I mean. I mean below 50. Okay. Yeah. How did you decide how big that check should be? Oh man. Amateur. I mean. Really? Lick your thumb, stick it up in the air. No, it, I think we were settled on one time's revenue. And you weren't thinking at that time, man, you're writing a pretty hefty check. This is an automobile that I could take that money and just reproduce the business myself. No, people have asked me this. Like, what did you actually get for your money? I didn't buy any of her tools. I didn't buy her garage. I bought things that I would have a hard time reproducing myself. Now, the design of the bed, okay, you could rip off someone's design, but you can't get photos. She had customer photos going back years of happy customers sharing their yep. pictures. Their rooms transformed. She had reviews, good reviews. She had some media mentions. I looked at that and said, I think there's enough here that it's worth buying this instead of trying to Man, that would take me a long time to do myself. It had taken her a long time to get there. Let's take a step back from that process. How can other people learn from what you've done? If you had to go out and reproduce this method, what are some ways people could explore that? I mean, I will definitely say that I am not an ideas person. There are lots of entrepreneurs who have 100 ideas that they might work on next. It's okay if you can't come up with your own idea because... You don't have to be the one who came up with the idea to be able to do a better job with that business than the person who came up with it. And an idea can strike you. In fact, I mean, most things are just a version of something that someone saw somewhere else that they improved upon. You can't predict when opportunity will strike, but you have to be ready. You just have to be thinking about it. You have to be looking at everything around you and saying, I wonder how that got made. I wonder who made that, who designed it. Where did they come up with the idea? What's it missing? A lot of us are the Lori persona. We're the artisanal folks who have ideas about industries and products and stuff. How can we learn from you? Obviously, Lori made her own decisions about the direction she wanted to go, but say she wanted to basically get coaching from you and build Lori beds into what you've built it in. What are the things people like her need to think more seriously about? I'm a big believer in outsourcing or hiring the expertise I think you have to get rid of the things that you could do even before you think you should to make 
space for the things that only you can do. So to say it another way, if you can hire someone to do a part of the business, the owner of the business has to do that because there are things in the business that you can't hire out for. And if you're not focusing on those things because you're building the beds yourself, let's say, then you are missing the opportunity that only you can take advantage of. What's the difference between something only you can do and things you can hire people to do? The word visionary gets tossed around a lot to describe (laughs) what the owner of the business has to be. Break it down. So my business coach, Rob Lynch, uses a phrase called the headlights of the business. The owner of the company or the leader is the headlights. They're on the front of the car, but they're also trying to see as far ahead as they possibly can about what's coming down the line. In a big company, that's strategic things, it's competitors. In a small company, the owner has to be looking forward to like, okay, where is the next pain point going to be in our growth? Where are things going to get hard that are currently easy because we've grown out of our systems? And if you're not spending time being the headlights of your business, then no one is doing that. Whereas if you're spending your time building beds, you could find someone else to do that. And then you'd have the time to focus on predicting or trying to get a little bit ahead of what the market brings you or what the business faces as it grows. Why can't you hire for headlights? I wouldn't say that you can't. It's very expensive. I mean, good luck. You'd probably have to go through several people. No one cares about your business as much as you do. And I think, unfortunately, that thinking is what keeps a lot of us holding on to too much stuff. No one cares about this like I do. You know what? And that's true. Probably no one will care about it as much as you do. But there are definitely people out there who are better at it than you are. Yeah. And they actually don't maybe even have to care that much (laughs) because they're so good at what you're trying to do. Like, I never learned Facebook advertising or any of that stuff because I just quickly found someone who was way better at it than me. I know enough to know that he like he knows what he's doing. But I don't worry about that because I have someone much better at it than me doing it. It's interesting. I love that. Like, you're right. If you have somebody who 70% cares, but 150% knows, that's a better equation than 100. Now, I will jump in and say, like, all of my employees care about the business. But there's just something about ownership that makes you care, like, not more. You care about different things. You care about that the business lasts forever. You care about that it takes care of your kids and your grandkids. So you are going to look just more forward-looking than anyone else will. There's no way around that unless you incentivize someone else to really care that much. Is working in your own business harder than doing your job previously was? I mean, in so many ways, it is better, and I would absolutely never trade what I'm doing now for what I used to do. But I never used to wake up at five in the morning with thoughts running through my head about my business. And I slept like a baby working for someone else, right? (laughs) Until maybe I got laid off once, and then you realize that things aren't as solid as you think. It is harder working on your own business. Absolutely harder. Yeah. But those of us who want to do it would never go the easier route. Just can't do it. Have you found that you have some people in your life want you to do more things too because they know you have the freedom? Like they expect you to travel places or to do things. You don't have a job. You should be there. You know, (laughs) my wife is the best, but she faced that a little bit. Yeah. When I stopped leaving the house and started having so much fun at my work, I'm doing air quotes at my work. (laughs) We had to talk about that it actually is work. And just because I'm having fun doesn't mean it's not super important. This is, you know, years ago conversation now. 
But sometimes it's the people closest to you whose expectations raise the most quickly because they can really see like, oh, you're in your pajamas still in the afternoon. I've had a lot of conversations like this in my life too. It was very hard for me early in my career to not spend as much time with my friends. That was like really hard because they didn't really see the difference. So what, you want to start a business? We're still going camping this weekend or whatever. Sometimes it's easier like maybe to get like a co-working space than to explain to your partner that like taking an hour long walk with a podcast or taking an hour long walk with a piece of paper in your pocket is what your work is that day. And in the same way that you kept it like a secret when you had these dreams of building a four hour work week business, sometimes you have to protect those things. You're not going to go to the lunch table at work and spill the beans because you cause problems for yourself. That's exactly why I work at a WeWork most of the time. I think I would add the idea of spending your day with a notebook and a pen and no phone and no meetings and anything like that. That is work. That's very hard work. That is working on your business instead of in your business. And when you're the leader of your business, you should be 80, 90% working on your business. And that doesn't look like work to the outside world because all the work is happening up in your head. But that is the most important work for the owner of the business to be doing. And that's why if you're doing anything else than that, more than 10% of your time, just like pick one thing and chip away at that, hand it off to someone, outsource it, hire it out, automate it. That'd be the best way. Well, eliminate it if it's a waste of time. Automate it if you can. Hire someone to do it if you can't automate it. Just tackle one thing at a time. Check this out. Most TMBA listeners will already be familiar with the SEO agency Smash Digital. In fact, the founder, Travis Jamison, has been on the show many, many times. Last year, over 200 listeners took them up on their free SEO audits. They are no BS, no sales pitch, a 100% free SEO audit. Take them up on it. No Andrew, CEO of JobRack, says an incredible an awesome SEO teardown and review of my site from Smash Digital. Hugely detailed, tons of actionable steps, and clearly lots of opportunity to get benefit from focusing more on SEO. David Hehenberger, founder of Flamingo, writes, I got audits for both of my businesses and they massively over-delivered. They could easily charge for this, but they're not because you're listening to the TMBA podcast. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible offer of a free SEO video audit of your website in this month of October, Head on over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA and a big up to Smash Digital for sponsoring the TMBA podcast. Me and you are both big fans of scaling up. We're both making investments in that philosophy. Can you talk about some of the most meaningful elements of that philosophy if listeners want to take a peek at the book? Scaling up has been wonderful for us. It is a way to get what's in your head, down on paper in a plan. And then not just a plan, but a series of goals, actions that will be taken by you and your team to one inch at a time, progressively get closer and closer to that goal. You don't make a plan because you're going to hit the plan because that's what's going to happen. You make a plan so you have something to change and adjust to as time goes on. And I think scaling up is great for making a clear plan, and then making sure you've, you're at least trying to get there or purposefully adjusting your plan if it's not working out. Yeah. Another great concept is the flywheel concept, which comes from Jim Collins, actually, which is just defining the key things that your business has to be great at 
to create a perpetual self-fulfilling business. You know, you clearly define what everyone's job is, who's responsible for this and that, where we're going as a group. As a business owner, you might think everyone in your company knows as clearly as you where we're going. They do not. They only know what you tell them and what you tell them repeatedly over and over and over again. Another thing that Rob tells me is the leader of the company is also the CRO of the company, the chief repeating officer, (laughs) the person who keeps saying the same thing over and over to make sure everyone gets it. And in order to know what that thing is that you should be saying, you have to go through some steps to get it even clear in your own mind. Rob Lynch uh, is our scaling up coach. Yep. So it's pretty cool, both here in Austin. It's like that that concept we were talking about. I loved how you pointed out that it's arbitrary because it's kind of interesting. Like we're not really saying this is what's going to happen in three years. We're saying there's right now the directions are 360 degrees. So we are going to point where the headlights are going to be called a 80 degree span or something. And we're going to head that way and then adjust. You can't adjust if you don't know where you're even trying to go in the first place. The point of a plan is so that you can then make adjustments along the way. So it's just a frame of reference. It's just a point of starting point, which will never be where you end up. And the plan that we put in place a year ago is completely different than where we think we're going to go now. But we only got to where we, how we know what we know now is because we started where we started and adjusted along the way. I want you to talk a little bit about one of the themes in your career that I pick up on by listening to you talk and stuff is family. You know, a lot of your motivation to work, I can read into your answers as family. You also work with family. And it's similar to Ian and I's relationship where we've been friends for 15 years. How do you balance this idea that inside of you somewhere, there's this ruthless killer business person who's capable of building a nine-figure business? And then also the guy who does business co-CEOs with his brother. Yeah, Kyle is my brother and we're co-CEOs. From the start, he helped me before he was even involved in the business. Think about the strategy when I thought I was doing it on my own. And very quickly, I said, I've got to have you on board. So the closest analogy I've been able to come up with is, you know, if you ever watch The Sopranos, the mafia show, where they're always saying right before they shoot someone in the head that this is not personal. It's just business. (laughs) I never understood that. I was like, that is BS. I mean, how can it not be personal to do what, and you know, I mean, that's like a horrifying example, but I've started to realize that there's family and there's work. Now I mix my family and my work, but it's my job to do whatever the business needs. Even if one particular person, it's like the end of the line for them, let's say in my business. Family is very different. Family is non-negotiable. Like you're stuck with your family forever. Kyle and I, we've put all our eggs in the same basket. We have to make it work. If Kyle and I ever don't work something out, we're in big trouble. Yeah. And family-wise, we have sisters. So it's like we're forcing ourselves to make decisions together, to think about things carefully, not take unnecessary risks. Family will always be first, but you can still, what's in the best interest of my family is being ruthless in my business. And I, I'm not ruthless. Like I'm a nice, I'm a, I'm a really nice guy. It would be very, I've never had to fire anyone. Thank goodness. It would be really hard for me if it came time for that to happen. But in the service of my family and the families of the people that work in my, the other families of the other people that I work, that work in my business, you'd have to make those tough choices. I had a business coach told me that you can't co-CEO a business or that it doesn't work out past a certain point. So double barrel question. At what point is it appropriate to involve scaling up or a, a business coach of some type? What revenue level, what headcount? 
And then at what point do you anticipate there needing to be a solo CEO of the business, if ever? Putting something in place like scaling up and especially getting a coach, we decided to do that when we started to see that our business could get very big. I can see myself growing a business to the point where I actually can't run it anymore. Like I'm not good enough. And maybe that's like one of those entrepreneurial fears that a lot of us face. What were some of the things starting to happen in the business that indicated to you a little out of I, control here? So I started to not know everything that was going on in the business. Not that it was out, it was actually perfectly under control, but that feeling of realizing someone who you hired, who's an expert, did something, maybe consulting with other people, but your team made a choice that you had delegated to them and they made it and you didn't know. Suddenly there's things happening in your business that you don't know about. In order to not dip my hands back in there and mess up everything good that they were doing, I had to have some management system in place so that I could confidently continue going forward without getting in their way or freaking out because I didn't know everything. A big business, that's the definition. Like things will be happening that you don't know about. Yeah. So we decided to do that when we had hit 5 million and about eight people. I'm trying to think what is going to start to break down as we get bigger. It's not broken yet, but what would be the next thing to break? And certainly I never managed a person. I never hired a person before I quit my job and started hiring all these people. So I know that maybe it's my personal experience that will break down next. So I'm going to get some help. We started at that four-hour work week entrepreneurial hustle, but now you're saying you want to grow a big business. And often people will come away from that book with this idea that I'm going to make 10 grand a month. This is going to be real stress-free. Um, going to have a lot of flexibility. How do you choose between those two visions? It's one of those things that chooses you. You don't choose it. I just started having too much fun as the business got bigger. And I was able to hire a professional to take over something it started to get more fun. And working with people like that sharpens you. And that's when Kyle and I decided we want as many of those people around us as we can possibly get. Yeah. And so you got to be big enough to afford people. And of course, we saw the potential. Like we're not forcing a small business to try to grow into something it can't be. But I got very excited about working. I mean, I work with people with way more experience in their fields than I've even been at working. And that is incredibly stimulating. I've basically said the exact same thing verbatim. There's something incredible about being in the room with professionals that work on a venture you've put so much soul into. When I hired my first executive team member, Dodes, who manages our product, manufacturing relationships, logistics, and things like that, even before I hired him, just talking with him, I realized we had set our goals way too small because I didn't know how to do any of those things that he spent every day doing in the furniture industry. Surrounding yourself with professionals allows you to set bigger goals that you never would have imagined. I mean, I never thought I'd be here at all. But the things that we can do now, because I hired like one person who knows what they're doing. But you started with CRO, conversion rate optimization. CRO was the first, that was, yeah, kind of a one-man agency. Gary was the best for us at the time. Without that, I would have floundered around. The site I built was trash because I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. But every time you add a person like that to the team who knows, who's just like in their sleep, can do this stuff better than you. It's a life-changing situation, but the hard part is how do you afford it? And then how do you decide where to afford it? So 
I imagine myself as you a few years ago and it's like, okay, I got a website that's trash conversions. I've got a limited SEO sales channel that could be improved. You know, this circle around you of all these functions in a business that aren't doing, you know, they're just okay by the fact that you're doing most of it, you and your brother. How do you decide where to hire and how much to invest? I'll go back to the concept of like, what is the thing poking you in the eye the most right now? The most annoying thing, the thing that you're most at a loss for, that you're hope, most hopeless about, hopefully that's also something most closely related to how you generate revenue. I say sales covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> if you have revenue, you'll have money to fix all the other stuff. But we did one thing at a time. You do not solve it all at once. Figure out where, you know, what's closest to the money for you, for your business, and solve that thing first. If there's a guy with a job and a family in a city in America reading the four-hour work week right now, and then you came in and got to write an extra chapter at the end, what would you emphasize or add to some of those ideas to flesh out what their trail might look like? I think I would add a chapter about your purpose, figuring out why you want to do this whole thing. And not that Tim's book didn't touch on that, but I would add more to that chapter if there is one about what are you going to do then once you get this? He does have a chapter called Filling the Void and I have reread it and it does not hit the spot for someone in their 30s or 40s or 50s. You have to think about that early on because one day you're hopefully going to quit your job and you're going to have all the things you think you wanted, which is the time freedom, the location freedom. And then you're going to realize okay, that doesn't mean I have a purpose in life. Hopefully you can pick a business that lets you make a difference in the world. But Murphy Beds is, I mean. Well, how does it work for you? We don't have a company so that we can sell Murphy Beds. We sell Murphy Beds so that we can have a company. We can have a great company, a company where people want to work. Kyle says, the place we wish we could have worked at our whole careers, where we get treated like we wish we could have been treated. I really do think my purpose is building a business, employing people, you know, helping people take care of their families in a rich, fulfilling way. But I didn't realize that at first. You don't become happy by having no constraints or no challenges. You become happy by figuring out, no, what is the difficult path that I'm supposed to walk on this earth to make things better? Location, freedom, time freedom is the vehicle to get what you want out of life. It's not the answer to happiness. It's the beginning, not the end. It's the beginning of the journey. That's exactly right. As founders of remote companies, we all face hiring challenges, like hiring today instead of next week or next quarter, scaling our teams quickly, and even just defining what we want in a candidate, where to find them, how much to pay them, and how to recruit them. There's a lot of questions. Hiring's complicated, but it doesn't need to be with remotefirstrecruiting.com. It's a service from our team where we help founders like you solve these hiring hangups. Even if you're not hiring today, you got to take advantage of our 15-minute free strategy call. It's with our senior recruiter, Greg Valentine. He's not a sales guy. He's a senior recruiter, industry expert, and he's helped place hundreds of remote candidates and companies just like yours. He can discuss with you the patterns we're seeing in the marketplace, share with you case studies, and talk about how you can build a rock-solid hiring strategy. 
Hiring doesn't need to be hard. Let our team do the heavy lifting. TMBA listeners, take advantage of this strategy call. It's a simple way to grow a better business. So head on over to our site, remotefirstrecruiting.com, where we believe hiring the right talent is the best way to grow a great remote business. Schedule a call with our team today at remotefirstrecruiting.com. I bought a book this morning because of you. It's called Who? And I'd like you to help us understand what the book's about and how we might use it in our businesses. Who is the book that we use to evaluate candidates before we hire people? Trying to answer, what are you supposed to do about the most difficult problem in your business? Which is not, what should we do? Or how should we do it? But who is the right person to bring on my team to do those things? Like I said, I had never hired a person in my life before I had to hire people for my own business. Did you have some misconceptions about what it would be like? That book opened my eyes to how unscientific my plan was. <laughs> my plan was like, hey, do we get along? And like, hey, do you seem nice? And like, hey, have you done some things in your past? I used to think it was so stupid when places would ask the same formulaic set of questions to every candidate. But that's exactly what the Who book is. It's exactly... You do this first, you ask these questions. In the next interview, if they pass, you ask these questions in this order. Danielle, the first person I interviewed, this still works for me today. She will agree with me when I describe this as a way you basically beat the candidate over the head so many times with the same kind of questions about their past. They cannot fake their way through the truth. They can't lie to you like it's just too exhausting. It's like an FBI interrogation. Tell it to me another way. It gave me the confidence to hire someone in fact, I found Danielle on Dynamite Jobs. Fantastic. And what I would have done, probably the person I would have picked using my system would not have worked out as well. What are the pointers of the system? What are the broad strokes of the idea? Past performance for people is the best indicator of future performance. Yeah. A person who has done the thing you need them to do so many times that they can do it in their sleep and they love it and they're excited and all their past bosses rave about how well they did it is the most likely to succeed. Now, you might miss out on a gem of a person who has the capability to figure it out but just hasn't done it before. But like in a small business, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because I can't take a risk that I hire someone who seems excited, who seems eager and like they might have the chops and then only to discover six months later that they don't and I got to let them go and hire someone new and I wasted all that money on training. A small business doesn't have the luxury of that. So this system, it helps you weed out anyone who just really hasn't done what you need them to do. And the way you ask the questions, again, gets at it from so many angles that it just becomes crystal clear by the end. Or it should. That's how you know. If you're not that excited about someone, then you got to keep going with someone else. Brian, one of the themes of this interview for me is you seem to be uniquely good at doing only what you can do. I'm not good at that. I'm curious if you could walk us through a normal day of what it looks like for you. My week is structured around really breaking up by days. Okay. So Tuesdays are where Kyle and I, and then subsequently our management team, talk through the weekly updates, the plan for the week. Why not Monday? Because I like Monday better for working on the business. Those meetings with my management team are actually working in the business. That's actually the only working in the business that I should be doing. 
is touching base with the essential managers that report to me to make sure what's going on in the business is okay. Do you have an agenda for those Tuesday meetings? Scaling Up has a structure for those meetings. You talk about this and then you go to this, you look at your scorecard, you talk about people problems, you talk about issues. That's the big part is you spend a lot of time talking about issues. And so- What's an issue? Anything that needs to be discussed and solved. Pretty much it's like just a very routine progression to making sure we have time for issues. It's what helps you not get to the end of a two-hour meeting and realize you didn't solve anything. So the issues are like the things that are getting in the way of you reaching the goals, the scorecard. And they know what their goals are. They should if I put my quarterly and my annual plan together. Yeah. And so the issues are just anything that popped up, you know, a customer issue, a supplier issue, could be anything. So that's the time I spend on my week working on the business. That's Tuesday. Tuesday. And then actually Wednesday, I have specific one-on-ones with Dodes, our product guy, and Danielle, who's the manager of customer experience team. And what's the point of the one-on-ones? Those are more specific departmental responsibilities that I continue to oversee, whereas Kyle oversees the marketing side of the house. He oversees like the digital side of things, and I oversee the physical delivery of service side of That's just how we split it up. How do you agendify your and Kyle's relationship? Do you guys like come together officially or just call each other when you have a spare moment? We have an official standing meeting once a week. Now, he lives in Spain right now, and obviously I'm in the U.S., so our days only overlap by two hours a day. Maybe that's why it works so well. It's because we have only the specific <laughs> time to talk and we don't get in each other's way the rest of the time. I'm Scaling sleeping. Up says you should talk every single day in a standing meeting. Do you disagree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, we work all over the world, so we're not in the same place. Now, I have heard some people, they ask for their team to record like a quick Loom video mm-hmm. and post it to the Slack channel where everyone can see what everyone's doing today, but it's not synchronous. So that's actually a great idea. If you want to have stand-up meetings, but everyone's in different time zones. I heard Vern Harnish, who I love, and I want to put this out to the podcast audience for discussion because scaling up is one of the themes of this year for me. He said that the daily huddle is the most underused part of the system. In other words, it's the secret gem. And both me and you have decided not to do it. And so I think it's fascinating because the way he describes it is so sexy. It's like, it's a 15 minute meeting and your team members have to articulate something clear and falsifiable that's going to move the business forward in their 30 seconds on the call or whatever. And it it does seem like a wonderful concept, but it also feels like a bit overwrought for an async remote company. Sounds great. And if we were all in the same building, showing up at work at the same time every day. But sorry, but your 8 a.m. sentence about what you're doing today interrupts someone's prime work hours at 2 p.m. I'm a big believer in figuring out when your best hours are and protecting those hours as much as possible and letting all my people do the same thing. I schedule meetings with them when they're not in their prime work time and interrupting each other online is is terrible. Interrupting yourself all day with your phone and online is terrible. So why would I let my people, yeah. So Monday, it's you and a piece of paper. Tuesday, it's executive with your co-CEO and then leadership team. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, it's one-on-ones with the departments that you oversee. Yep. Thursday. Thursday would be meetings with perhaps a new vendor, perhaps a new agency. Yeah. Business development stuff, perhaps meetings with banks, like prospective types of things. Like today, you're going to meet with a a bank today. That's exactly right. Yep. I make it sound like this is what I do every week. It's kind of like random stuff that fills in Thursday that rises to the level of my attention. And then Friday is goof around, you know, wrap wrap things up, spend a little time, extra time with my wife, just kind of whatever odds and ends from the week. How many hours of meetings a week is working for you 
how much email, how much phone? I spend six hours a week in standing meetings. Let's add an hour for my weekly DC mastermind, which is the, nice. probably the best hour of my week business-wise. So probably, yeah, six or eight hours, let's call it, of standing meetings. Maybe another four to six hours of ad hoc meetings, impromptu meetings. We have teams, it's like Slack. I do a little bit of chiming in on people's ideas, this and that, but I don't really, we don't just jump on the phone to talk about much stuff. I don't have to because I've hired people who actually are better at it anyway yeah. than me. They report to me what they did in the Tuesday meeting. They don't ask me what to do. I don't know. And I love that. That's great. They know. Then I do almost no email. I'm lucky enough to have an assistant. She filters all my email. I look in my inbox. I've got the three things I actually need to do flagged for me. The rest of it, she just gets rid of. Is this an American-based EA? Yeah, assistant? she actually lives here in Austin. So when I send you an email and I get a reply from you, is that from you? In this case, those were from me. Yeah, she never <laughs> pretends to be me. Okay. That's just one thing we decided. She never pretends to be me, but she could jump in and say, hey, look, Brendan's out of the office for the rest of the week, but I can tell you that that time works great and we'll schedule it. What's your vision for next year and the year after that? And we'll invite you back on the pod to see where you're at. Oh, great. So my vision is more products. I don't know what the dollar number is. That's not what I'm shooting for. <sighs> I love my business for so many reasons, but one thing I wish I could change is that we are a one and done business. We have one product, you buy it from us once, you don't need to come back ever again, we lose you. There's not like Murphy Bed collectors no, out there. No, it's not like Murphy Bed of the Month <laughs> Club. I haven't been able to make that work. So our goal is to expand our product lineup, offer things that go well with a Murphy Bed. I mean, mattress, bed sheets is like an easy one. Maybe turning our product into like a bedroom system, a line of furniture. That's what we're going to be focusing on the next year. Introducing an upscale version of the product. Because there's a, little a more bigger engineering. picture that a Murphy bed fits into. Like during the pandemic, a lot of people wanted to work from home. Yeah. And so they wanted to turn a bedroom into an office. That's why they're buying a Murphy bed. Not because they want the bed off the ground. It's because they want to do something else with the room. And to whatever extent we can address those additional desires, like, you know, a desk. Well, this a is desk where system. a vision comes in. Homestead. Yes. When I look at Homestead brands, it's on your t-shirt right now for those uh, not watching us on uh <clears throat> the security camera at the this security brewery camera we're sitting at. Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> what I imagine is people who want to be with their families at home. They want to cook at home. They want to work at home. They want to spend more time in a homestead. And having an office is a part of that. The word homestead actually came from Lori, the lady who started Lori Beds. She is a homesteader. What that means is she lives on a piece of family land where her in-laws live too. Maybe some other people live now. She's building herself a homestead on kind of one side of the land. She raises chickens. She wants to build her own house with her own hands. <laughs> That's not for me. But that idea of home and family, I love spending time at home. I love having people over. And I feel proud to sell things that let people spend more time with their family and friends. Kyle and I, like we agree on this. So it'd be great to have a cosmetics company where like, Super great margins and you, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. sell it month after month, but that doesn't really speak to what I actually care about. Not that we'll never do it, but what we really care about is, yeah, spending time with the people that you care about, having people over. They can stay the night because you got the space now. That's really cool. Two more questions. So the first is a lot of people listen to this, 80% own businesses, but 20% are like you were just a few short years ago, plotting their escape, thinking about how do I do this? Good for you, man. You got $10 million business now. It's a hard question, but what do you encourage people to think about? What I've already said about your purpose, 
what is the reason you want a business? So think about all that. I would also say like, look, Murphy Beds is not, I mean, I'm passionate about Murphy Beds now because it's my business, but you do not have to be passionate about the thing you find. That's a good idea. Tony would say, Tony Smith, buddy here in my mastermind would Shout say, out. better not to care about the thing you sell or do very much because then you won't take it as personally when it gets hard and when your customers hate it or something. I'll underline what Tony's saying and say, maybe better not to be an enthusiast or an artisan. Maybe I would sell Miata parts a little bit better than Ian because he really identifies with the Mazda community and is going to take it differently than me who yeah, is just fact, trying to sell these the book, parts. The book, The E-Myth Revisited, would say that a person who is really passionate about something, if they turn that into a business, actually will struggle more than the person who doesn't care because they think too much about, let's say, the part of the car. They're not thinking about the business structure. And if you don't really care about the product, then you start to think more about, okay, like, can I sell this? So I would say definitely think about that. And then you can't force it to happen. Like there's no predicting when it will come. It's not like you work on it for a year and then you get it. It's, you have to be ready all the time for the right idea to cross your path. And I try to stay ready for good opportunities and ideas because like I said, I'm not an ideas person. I don't have a hundred ideas I want to work on, but I think I can spot a good idea when it comes and just... Isn't that part of the theme though of being on instead of in? Is that you have all these structures, the stakes in the fire, so to speak, and time and time again throughout your story, you were able to see what new information meant for you rather than being so tunnel focused on what you were up to that you weren't able to see the opportunity. Yeah, and that's, that's something you could do if you don't yet have your idea, but you want to be doing something. You could be thinking about, okay, what will I do with the idea when I get it? How am I going to set up the site? How am I going to do the marketing? Let me learn this and that that's interesting. and that. So that when the idea it's comes... It's idea agnostic. Yeah, exactly. What's the structure you need to have that is, it doesn't matter what idea you come up with. How are you going to buy the business? Like, where's the money going to come from if you have to work on that? which all of us do, work on structuring the business in your mind. And then when the right product comes along, you just plunk it in. It might, that makes it sound really easy, but it's something to do while you wait for the right opportunity because that you can't force. Brendan, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the team. <laughs> hey, it's been a pleasure. That's it for this week. Big shout out to our guy, Brendan Marcourt, for rocking the stage at DCBKK and joining us here at the TMBA podcast. And thank you to you for listening. You can email me, dan at tropicalmba.com. Let me know what you'd like to hear on this show in the future. More on the event in the future. That's it for this week. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.